Good evening. Greetings to you in Jesus' precious name. It's good to be here together with you tonight. Counted a privilege and a blessing. Bring you greetings from the Fairhaven Congregation in Myerstown, Pennsylvania. Probably most, for some of you at least, would know where we are. And uh, maybe just a real brief introduction. I'm here with my wife, Yvonne, and we have three children. Adair is six, Olivia is three, and Bennett is one. And uh, we look forward to this time of sharing together with you. When Naaman called me a couple months ago, it might have been. Um, yeah, I was looking forward to it since then. And tonight, I appreciate the hospitality of, of the meal and, and uh, the time we could share together. And we recounted some old Bible school adventures a little bit, and that's where probably where Naaman and I would have connected the most, um, other than maybe Roxbury Youth Retreat here or there. And um, so, yeah, thank you for that. So we do welcome you to come our way whenever you have the opportunity. And uh, tonight as we look at this message, the title of Laying Aside Every Weight, found in Hebrews 12, it's my desire that the message would bring honor and glory to the Lord, that would be uh, to the furtherance of his kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I'd like to begin by thinking about running this race that we have. And there's a poem by Dr. D.H. Groberg. It's titled, Get Up and Win the Race. Whenever I start to hang my head in front of failure's face, my downward fall is broken by the memory of a race. A children's race, young boys, young men, how I remember well. Excitement, sure, but also fear. It wasn't hard to tell. They all lined up, so full of hope, each thought to win that race or tie for first, or if not that, at least take second place. Their parents watched from off the side, each cheering for their son, and each boy hoped to show his folks that he would be the one. The whistle blew and off they flew like chariots of fire. To win, to be the hero there was each young boy's desire. One boy in particular, whose dad was in the crowd, was running in the lead and thought, my dad will be so proud. But as he speeded down the field and crossed a shallow dip, the little boy who thought he'd win lost his step and slipped. Trying hard to catch himself, his arms flew every place, and midst the laughter of the crowd fell flat upon his face. As he fell, his hope fell too. He couldn't win it now. Humiliated, he just wished to disappear somehow. There's more to that poem, but I'll uh, finish reading that later. And tonight I wonder if any of you have ever felt like that young man as you've run race. You feel like maybe you're finally getting somewhere. You feel like life is going along pretty well. You're going to win. This is going to be good. And you trip. And life can become difficult and life can become hard. It can turn our hope into fear. It can turn our joy into dread. It can turn our day into night. Tonight I want this message to be an encouragement to you where you are. Some of us are perhaps just starting the race. Some maybe almost finished. Some are thinking about joining the race. Maybe some are thinking about quitting. And maybe there are some that are only halfway. We each find ourselves at a different place. 
as we think about laying aside every weight, I want to think about or focus on the concept of finishing well. How do I finish well as I run this race? If you haven't already, turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. I'd like to read the first four verses here. Hebrews 12, verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest he be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. I'll leave off there. There's more that we could look at in Hebrews chapter 12 here. But to maybe back up a little bit and think about the, the history of the race as we, to help us understand Paul's words here, um, assuming it was Paul, we believe it probably was, that wrote Hebrews. We need to look back at history a little bit, and, and going back we can see that the Greeks had enjoyed some form of the Olympic Games, as we think of them, as far back as 700 BC. And these continued through the years and today remain a part of, of, of the sports world. The, the Games then included both foot and chariot races and they often took place in a stadium. There was a central track in the middle and then seating around the sides. It was approximately 220 yards long was the, the length here. And, and whatever competition took place within the stadium, there were strict rules and also strict punishments for breaking the rules. If, if you didn't do it um, the way you were supposed to, there was a punishment for that. Paul's reference to laying aside every weight was a literal reference to those runners that would lay aside every weight and run the race. Nothing to hold them back. The race that they had would be very demanding and it would be viewed by many spectators. There would be either an approval at the end of the race or a disapproval. And the greatest honor was for a, a runner to complete the race in first place and to, to receive that glory. That, the ivy wreath that they got was only a part of, of the glory that he received. It was an honor to his country that he could represent his country. And that was to him his biggest reward. So as we think about that race Paul is talking about, let, it, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us. I like to think about, in terms of an athlete, what does it mean for us as Christians tonight to run in a race? What does it take an athlete? First, I have rigorous exercise. I have a list of things here. Rigorous exercise, a singular purpose, self-control self or discipline, stamina, deep-rooted endurance, sacrifice, 
and a goal, a focus to win, to finish. As we think about those, those things that an athlete needs in our Christian life, as we think about that of rigorous exercise, there's a conditioning that needs to take place, and that comes through studying God's Word so that we can maintain spiritual fitness. We need the exercise of prayer and continually yielding every part of our life to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need the exercise of spiritual discernment in what we hear and what we choose to believe. So it takes an active plan. It's not something that happens naturally. A singular purpose, the purpose in running the race, what is that purpose? And I believe ultimately it's to bring honor and glory to God, to the God who gave us life. But it also does something for us as we're running that race. It satisfies the deepest need in our heart as we follow what the Lord has called us to do. There's also self-discipline or self-control or discipline. And this is not speaking of asceticism. Asceticism is uh, severe avoidance of all forms of indulgence. It's not talking about that. But it's a discipline that regulates the mind, the soul, and the body. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It is evidence that Christ is living in us. Self-control does not allow the flesh to make decisions contrary to the will of God. If we're going to run this race, we need to be to control our mind, to control our, our body through the power and the blood of Jesus. Also the idea of stamina or endurance. I know how many of you have, I'm sure most of you have run some kind of race and it's been hard. You get to the end and you're panting for breath and and you almost have that taste of maybe blood or whatever you say it is, that iron taste in your mouth. And endurance is that same picture here, that of pushing on till we can't go any further and continuing. That's the picture here that that we're thinking of as an athlete in the Christian race. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 and 25 says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Notice the phrase there that every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate and has that idea of, of not allowing the body to, to rule the actions. Having endurance to the end, not simply stepping into a race and with a lot of determination, but then not having the endurance to finish. There's also the, the call or the uh, requirement for sacrifice. As we think about running this race, it's going to take sacrifice on our part. As an athlete gives up his time, he is, he is investing that time in, into his body to be able to perform well. 
as a Christian, we're going to need to give up some things that we want to do. And as, as a believer, as we run this race, there's going to be things that, that are good things that we want to do, but we have to give them up because, well, maybe we're studying to teach Sunday school or, or preparing for company or, or whatever it is, wherever the Lord has placed you. There will be sacrifices to serve the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, we need to have a focus on the goal. We need to remember the words that, or, or think of the words that Jesus said to the faithful servant, the faithful steward. He said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Our focus must be on the work of Jesus, the work that he did for us on the cross as he gave up his, his life, the victory that he made possible through his death. Continuing in 1 Corinthians 9, it says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others I myself should be a castaway. And the word castaway there is another word for disqualified. Thinking about a race, if you're disqualified from a race, you're um, not able to complete or, or to compete. So I need to remember the goal. I need to remember that there's a crown, an incorruptible crown waiting for me if I run faithfully. There's maybe some slight differences as we think about a Christian race and a temporal race. The Christian race, there's a crown of life for each who competes, for each who completes the race. In comparison, an earthly race, there's just one winner, one person that will take first place. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy 4, verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Is that your goal tonight? Do you look at that crown and, and think about that crown throughout your day? Is that your focus? Is is serving Jesus Christ your focus as you go each through each day? Do I love the appearing of the Lord Jesus? Is that my testimony tonight? Difference in this race is is that this is not a the the crown that we receive is not a participation award. As we think about running the Christian race, society likes to give participation awards, but for the crown of for us to receive the crown of life, it requires a complete sacrifice, a complete laying down of ourselves. That picture that we hear, have here of, of rigorous exercise, 
having that purpose, having that discipline, having that self-control, having that endurance, the stamina, being willing to sacrifice and keeping that goal does not come easy, but is, but is possible. Another area that the Christian race is different from that of the world is in the world there's competition, there is a rivalry, there is a first, there's a second and a third, and on down. But in the kingdom of Jesus Christ there is there is compassion, there is a care one for another, there is a goal of completion more than of competition. And maybe sometimes we we get that wrong as we're running a race, as we're competing with a brother or sister when we should be loving them and caring for them. The race is not about speed, but about relationship. We're called to build each other up, to encourage each other. There's a, a race held every year in northern Minnesota. It's called the Arrowhead 135. And it's quite interesting as I, as I researched this. It's 135 miles of trail that is run, biked, or skied, or walked in the coldest time of the year. And temperatures there can plummet well below minus 20 Fahrenheit. Protection from the cold is vital to their survival of the contestants. The terrain is varied. There's wide open places where the wind gusts right through and there's places where it's protected as well. Some areas of the trail are flat and some are extremely rugged. Less than 50% of those who enter the race actually complete it due to the difficulty that they encounter. The time given to complete the race is 60 hours. So 135 miles in 60 hours it would take me a good day to get that, I think. There's a, 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 a runner that shared his story as he closed in on the finish line. I summarized it here a little bit. Nearly halfway through the race, I jockeyed for position with John, another runner. We competed until we could no longer, at which point we decided to make a team instead. This proved helpful as we both later would need each other's help. When we were almost near the finish line, another runner approached, attempting to overtake us. But with another shout of urgency, adrenaline began to pump, and we pushed our hardest yet, only eight miles left to go. When I looked back, all I saw was blackness. We never really knew, for, we never really knew how far back the next racer was. When we saw the lights at the finish line, we weren't sure we had actually arrived. Perhaps one might think the finish anticlimactic, but John and I were elated. After all, we had experienced running half of the race together, and we were determined to cross the finish line together. We sprinted across the finish line, holding our arms up together in victory, and tied for second in 38 hours and 45 minutes. The finish line was pure paradise. There's a lot of ways we could think about that as we run a Christian race together, helping each other along. You know, the Christian race is not only about ourselves. Sometimes we we tend to focus on ourselves and think about what I'm experiencing, what I'm going through, how difficult it is for me. 
all the problems that I have, if only they knew. But the Christian race is not about ourselves, but it is about helping those alongside us onto the finish line. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest ye be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We're called to help our brother and sister in this race. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 begins with wherefore, and maybe I'm going backwards here a little bit. You've heard before, if you hear wherefore, to go back and see what it's there for. And if you go back and read Hebrews 11, um, it's a very good prelude to chapter 12. I'm not going to read all of it. I'd, I'd like to pick out the first three verses, then jump to verse 6. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Jump down to verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We know Hebrews 11 here is a faith chapter. And faith is a conviction of the unseen. It talks about the worlds that were framed by the word of God. The unseen word of God created the worlds. And we accept that by faith. We believe that God created, and he created for a purpose. And that's maybe as we grow up, something we hear enough that we, we naturally, that's where we gravitate, that's what we think of when we think of creation, that God created it. We don't look at the world's ideas for that. But God created it, and he created it in such a way that it requires faith on our part. And so it's through faith that we accept that all time and all events were created by God for a purpose. And verse 6, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. So without faith we cannot receive that reward that it also talks about, that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So faith is pertinent as we think about this race that we're running and the blessing that we have of Hebrews 11 is a, a picture of all those that have run this race before us. And they made it. They finished well. They made mistakes along the way, many of them. But they finished. Back to Hebrews 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses cloud of witnesses. Paul is referring to this great throng of people on either side of these runners as they raced. Crowd of witnesses. Today we have a crowd of witnesses. We have Hebrews 11 to look back. We have God's word that gives us many other examples than are listed in Hebrews 11. And we also have brothers and sisters in the church. We have those that have gone before. We have the martyr's mirror that we can look at at those who have been faithful. So those around us can be 
that part of that cloud of witnesses. So we are called to encourage. We are called to lift up. We are called to support one another. Do I take the time to send a quick text or a card, an encouragement to a brother or sister, letting them know I'm praying for them? Do I stop to consider where they are at in their race, how they're running, how they're doing? What needs do they have this week? We have a responsibility to encourage, to come alongside. I'd like to think next about laying aside every weight. I once encountered a man who was journeying down a pathway. The pathway was pleasant enough, not too difficult. As the man walked, I observed an object he was holding near to him. I asked him, sir, what object do you hold so close? It must be precious to you. Do you know this pathway is long and there are points in it which may become nearly impassable? His reply was, it was only a little thing when I first picked it up, but you see, it's been growing in size, so much so that I have quite grown fond of it. It is my companion and friend. It is something I've turned to a number of times when I didn't know what else to do. Presently, we together encountered a section of pathway that became quite narrow, fumbling with the treasure. Precariously near to the edge of a great abyss, the man lost his balance and began to fall. I quickly reached my hand out and steadied him. He looked at me, his emotion quite stirred from the experience. Sir, I said, it seems that you must let go of that object. It is preventing us both from safe passage. The man looked down, studying the object he had held so close and grown so fond of. I carefully reminded him that the object nearly cost him his life. He nodded, seeming to know what to do. He dropped it. It rolled slowly to the edge of the slope trail and then tumbled downhill, picking up speed as it went until we could no longer see it. Maybe we have an object in our hands tonight. Maybe there's a weight that we're carrying that's taking us to the edge of that cliff. That's a perilous place. We're called to, to lay down, to lay aside that weight, lay aside the sin which easily besets us, Christian life does not have room for extra weight. There is no room for the smallest of sins. I looked at the Strong's Concordance here, and um, maybe a part of this message I struggled the most with. The definition of weight, and this is paraphrased a little bit, a heavy load which causes a hindrance. It's the idea of an old roll of carpet that you're carrying and it's bending down under its own weight. It's a burden. It's extremely uh, unhandy to, to carry. It causes a hindrance. Sin is anything that is separating us from God or causing an offense to God. And so when does weight become a sin is the question that I wrestled with. And I don't have an answer for you tonight. Maybe you can help me after the message here. But as I think of weights, weights might not be something that are wrong in and of themselves, but they are areas that can become a burden to us. And what are some of those areas? And I, I'm not, I don't have a comprehensive list here tonight, but it can be our finances. Finances 
while they work for us, can become a weight to us at times. It can be our hobbies. It can be something that we enjoy on the side, but lately it's taken everything. It's, it's become a project more than a hobby. It can be, be our material possessions, those things that we love to hold and to carry with us that we're not ready to let go. They're precious to us. Maybe our technology, it may be that new fizz that we get when we get a new bit of technology or the time we spend on it. Technology is not a wrong thing in and of itself, but it can become more than a weight to us. It can become sin. Maybe it's our appearance, how we look. We're more concerned about that than, than what our spiritual condition is inside. What is a weight in your life? There's weights of distractions, and this comes probably closer home, at least to me now, in, in this stage of life, but distractions can be legitimate cares or business that distracts us from a proper focus and action. And men, I think we need the Lord's help if we're going to do well with these distractions. Legitimate cares, legitimate business, we need to look to the Lord for wisdom. These weights can easily cause our heart to become passionate about this life. We can soon put our identity in these weights. My job becomes my identity. What I do, how I relate to people, on and on. We can, we can look, look at things that are distractions to us, that are weights that we're concerned about so much of the time. When does weight become sin? I told you I don't really have an answer for that, except when it is clearly something that is separating us from God or causing an offense to God. And so I think we each need to answer that for ourselves personally. But things that are obvious, perhaps, pursuing riches, pursuing an easy life, pursuing elaborate vacations, pursuing a secure home or a future, Pursuing my own comfort, pursuing personal security, whether that's physical or financial. There's a lot of ways that we can put the things of the Lord above or below the things of this world. What about availability? How available are you to the work that God is calling? Is being unavailable a sin or a weight? To think about Jonah, how did it work out for him? God called him to a work, to go, to do, to preach. He chose to run. My availability to serve the kingdom of Jesus Christ depends on the location of my heart. Have I laid every burden at the cross? Have I given up the things that I want to call mine? and exchange them for the freedom to run a race that is completely directed by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, and by the Lord Jesus Christ and His example. What about if I try to live righteously on my own strength? We see that as sin. When I allow burdens of weight into my life, such as an overt desire for financial security, 
I am agreeing to the opportunity for Satan to use it as a foothold in my life. Matthew Henry's commentary said this, This is a most important exhortation for while a man's darling sin, be it what it will, remains unsubdued, it will hinder him from running the Christian race as it takes from him every motive for running and gives power to every discouragement. And that is true. I can attest to that. Times where I've allowed sin in my life you don't feel like getting up in the morning. You don't feel like you're going to be able to manage the things that you face that day when you're allowing sin into your life. You lose the motive for running. You lose the power that Jesus has to give you because you have turned away from him. A foothold for the devil opens when I choose to bear a burden or weight in my life. I'm revealing that I... One, do not trust God to provide for my needs. Two, believe I have enough strength on my own. And three, do not desire to receive God's sufficient grace in my life. Looking here at verse 1 again. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us. The word beset here is, is the idea of a snare. Is there any trappers here tonight? Nobody traps? Okay. I preached this message actually at our church a couple weeks ago, and, and somebody said, oh, that's just like my husband when he traps. Um, talked about a snare, and they could relate to it. But this, this picture here of sin is, is very much like a snare, and a snare is set so that when an animal travels along a log or, or their travel corridor, wherever that is, they, they see the opening and, and they think they can get through, but it's just small enough that they catch it. And the farther they go, the tighter it gets until it incapacitates them and they die. And sin is, is like that. And that's a picture here about the sin that does so easily beset us. It so easily ensnares us. And... Paul doesn't say it takes great difficulty for the sin to get us. He says it easily does. And so I think I can say with confidence that this is a, per, this is a human problem tonight. It's not just something that I deal with and something that just you deal with, but it's something all of us deal with, that there's sin waiting to ensnare us. So if it's so easily besetting us, is there sin that I have allowed into my life? You know, I can hide it. I can pretend that there's not a snare around my neck for a little while, but it's getting tighter. And if I'm able to hide it through all my life, God still knows. Romans 6.23 says, The end of sin is death. Lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience. The picture here of patience is cheerful endurance it's not often that we go through a trial and we're praising the Lord right away for the trial but that's the picture here that running with patience cheerful endurance yes Lord you know what I need you've given it to me today and I thank you for it how happy is the man who has laid down every burden 
after bearing a heavy one and now runs or walks as a free man. Think back to the time when you've accepted the Lord, when you laid that burden down, that weight of sin rolled off, and that freedom that you felt. Is that still an experience that you're having today? Cheerful endurance. How happy is the man who has laid these burdens down and runs or walks as a free man? There's two other word pictures that Paul painted, both striving and reaching forth. I've jumped ahead of myself here a little bit, but um, the word agonize, as we use it in, in our in our language today is a Greek root word, and I'm not gonna, I don't have it written down here, so I wasn't gonna try to pronounce it, but it's, it's the word that is a picture of, of what these athletes were doing, striving for the victor's crown. The word agonize is a, is a picture of striving or reaching forth. It's seeing that finish line so close and, and desperately reaching for it. That's the picture here that he is painting, running with patience, the race that is set before us. Patient, cheerful endurance. He also says here in the end of the verse that it is a race that is set before us. You know, the race that you have, the race that I have, are different races, and, and the, it is our race to run. You can't run my race, and I can't run your race. The events and the circumstances in our race are perfectly designed and perfectly created and tailored for us. Who my parents are, where I was born, the gifts or abilities that I have, my physical characteristics, the era of time that I was born into, none of these do I have any control over. God placed me here. He placed you here this specific time, this specific place. He has set a race before us and it is our responsibility, it is our choice how we run that race. I like to think now of finishing well. How do we finish the race well? Turn to Matthew 16. Possibly many Places in scripture we could think about Matthew 16:24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for him for his soul? How do we finish well? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And here's the list that we looked at to start. That of discipline, that of endurance, that of seeing the goal, sacrifice, daily cross bearing. If I'm going to be successful, I need to lay down my will, deny myself, take up the cross of Jesus, and follow him. 
First Peter 5, verse 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Jesus went through so much for us, and he, can, he understands what we face today, what we'll face tomorrow, what we'll face two weeks from now, maybe a year from now. We don't know what the future holds, but we can cast all our care upon the Lord. He cares for us. And I think the only way that we're going to finish well is if we learn to do that. And the sooner the better. Casting all our care upon him each day. Continually leaning on him. As I continue my journey, maybe some things to consider are my track conditions are a result of my decisions. How is my spiritual health and performance? Have I been disciplined in my walk with the Lord? What is my spiritual energy level? Am I like the Bereans? Or am I spiritually lazy? What is my spiritual diet? So many things that can help us as we think about evaluating where we are. Is our spiritual life alive is it is it important to us second timothy 2 verse 5 and if a man also strive for masteries yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully that picture again of of running that race well if if it wasn't run well it, you were disqualified in uh, 1 Corinthians, it talks about the judgment seat, and the, the word for that is bema, if you ever look that up. The judgment seat of Christ is what Paul refers to, and that was used as these athletes ran, that they would be judged at these judgment seats. How did they do? Did they do well, or did they do poorly? If they did poorly, they might expect a flogging at the bema at the judgment seat. And that's the picture here in 2 Timothy 2, verse 5. If a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, yet is he not glorified, yet is he not given that reward, except he strive lawfully, unless he runs well. And that's the same for us today. Turn yet to Colossians chapter 3. Verse 5, Colossians 3. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth for fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him, where there, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all in it and in all. 
Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. I'll leave off there. We have a list of things here to put off. And some of these things maybe we think aren't, maybe don't apply to us, but there's, there's little things that God is calling us uncleanness. Is our thought, are our thoughts pure before the Lord? Lie not one to another. Maybe we're tempted to lie just a simple thing like that, a small lie, maybe we say. Maybe we deal with anger welling up in our heart. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's unforgiveness. We're called to put these things off if we want to run this race well. Notice here that singing is mentioned. And I believe singing is a result of running well. Maybe your family don't sing. But is there a song in your heart as you hear the word of the Lord? Is it does it bless you? Are you encouraged in it? Are you abiding in that, in his, in his peace, in his love, what he can give, the strength that he gives to us? Put on kindness, put on humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing, forgiving. Put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. So if there's things that we can lay aside, there's things that we are called to put on and encourage you in that tonight to put on the things of the Lord Jesus, the word of Christ, a song in your heart, and do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. How do we finish well? Back to Hebrews 12. We didn't look at verse 2 very much here. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's the answer tonight. Looking unto Jesus. How can we win? How can we run well? The very one who was able to endure the cross, to despise the shame, to be set down at the right hand of the throne of God, is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. We will not finish well if we are pursuing fads or fashion, fame or fortune, Jesus wants to be our Lord. He wants to be the center of our hearts, the center of our lives. He wants to direct our steps as we're running. We look to him. He wants to fashion our lives according to his plans and his purpose. You're on that trail. You're on that road for a reason. But you need to look to Jesus. He is the author. He has created you. He knows what you need. He knows what I need tonight. He is the finisher. He's the only one that is able to bring our life into completion, into fullness in him. 
He is a perfecter of our faith. And someday there will be a winning circle. There will be a time when each of us will answer for how we have run. I have another excerpt from the Arrowhead. I'm sure you call it a marathon. Arrowhead 135. This woman was trying her third time to finish. She says, it had been hours and hours of feeling like I was at my limits and yet finding just a little bit more. I wanted it badly now, but still I didn't allow myself to believe it was in the bag. Not until the final road crossing, I broke down and cried the rest of the way. Big, ugly cries. Cried because I was so tired. Cried because I was in so much pain. Cried because I had finished what I started when at times it felt utterly impossible. I finally saw the snow fence and turned to say goodbye to the trail that I'd spent 58 hours and 29 minutes with and then looked up the hill to see a whole group of people waiting for me and cheering. I took a second to just absorb it and then I started to run. I'm most proud of my run up the last hill, the one where I couldn't feel anything other than joy. can't describe the winning circle better than that. That feeling of running that race and seeing the end. 2 Timothy 4 verse 8 says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Matthew 25, 21, His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things, I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. What is your goal tonight as you run? As you're facing this race, is there a weight that the Lord is calling you to lay down? Is there sin that is holding you back, causing you to stumble? But as he fell, his dad stood up and showed his anxious face, which to the boy so clearly said, get up and win that race. He quickly rose, no damage done, behind a bit, that's all, and ran with all his mind and might to make up for his fall. So anxious to restore himself, to catch up and to win, his mind went faster than his legs, he slipped and fell again. He wished that he had quit before with only one disgrace. I'm hopeless as a runner now, I shouldn't try to race. But through the laughing crowd he searched and found his father's face with a steady look that said again, get up and win that race. So he jumped up to try again, 10 yards behind the last. If I'm to gain those yards, he thought I've got to run real fast. Exceeding everything he had, he regained eight, then 10. But trying hard to catch the lead, he slipped and fell again. Defeat. He lay there silently, a teardrop from his eye. There's no sense running anymore. Three strikes, I'm out. Why try? I've lost, so what's the use, he thought. I'll live with my disgrace. But then he thought about his dad, who soon he'd have to face. Get up, an echo sounded low. You haven't lost at all. For all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. Get up, the echo urged on. Get up and take your place. You were not meant for failure here. Get up and win that race. 
So up he rose to run once more, refusing to forfeit, and he resolved that win or lose, at least he wouldn't quit. So far behind the others now, the most he'd ever been, still he gave it all he had and ran like he could win. Three times he'd fallen stumbling, three times he rose again, too far behind to hope to win, he still ran to the end. They cheered another boy who crossed the line and won first place, head high and proud and happy, no falling, no disgrace. But when the fallen youngster crossed the line in last place, the crowd gave him the greater cheer for finishing the race. And even though he came in last with head bowed low, unproud, you would have thought he'd won the race to listen to the crowd. And to his dad, he sadly said, I didn't do so well. To me, you won, his father said. You rose each time you fell. And now when things seem dark and bleak and difficult to face, the memory of that little boy helps me in my race. For all of life is like that race with ups and downs and all. And all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. And when de depression and despair shout loudly in my face, another voice above me says, get up and win that race. We're running for our Heavenly Father tonight. We want to hear his words. To me you won, you rose each time you fell. So what is important as we think about finishing well, Jesus wants our heart and he wants us obedient to him to continue to press on and may that be an encouragement to you tonight. True fullness of joy is for the one who wears a victor's crown. Psalm 1611, thou wilt show me the path of life, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come before you, Lord. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are a God that created us, that you loved us, that you love us still in spite of who we are, in spite of what we've done. Lord, you created us with a purpose. You created us. You've placed us here today, tonight, in our own race with the challenges and the struggles that we each have. Lord, you know the temptation to pick up those weights, to hold on to that sin. Lord, I pray that you would give us courage tonight to make decisions that would help us to let go of those things, to follow you, to lay down our lives, to give up, the things that we want, the things that we hold dear to our hearts. Lord, the race that you've called us to is the most important race. Lord, help us to run well. Strengthen us for the days ahead. Pray for each one gathered in here tonight. Lord, you know the needs that they're facing. You, need, you know their hearts tonight. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them in your way through your spirit. Lord, that each of us could look to you, draw our strength from you, and that we could each be found around that winning circle one day in heaven. Lord, that not one soul here tonight would cast aside, would disqualify himself, would choose to quit, would give up, but Lord, that each one would be found faithful to you. Lord, help us to, to reach out, to be your hands and your feet as we walk this earth, as we relate to those around us, brothers and sisters in the church, those who don't know you that are bearing tremendous burdens, 
Lord, help us to be faithful in reaching to them as well. Help us to show your light, to show your love that you have given to us, to spread that to others. Lord, I pray that you would go with us tonight as we go our respective ways, that you would bless us each with safety. Lord, that you would um, guide us in our week ahead, that we could do all to your honor and to your glory. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.